0: This is WMNF Tampa. Here
1: comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all
2: right. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we're talking with Danny Halls about the benefits of living with an urban garden in a... Well, she lives in an... It's a neighborhood garden, really. So... Um, I'm the host today because Kenny is out of the country and uh, having a wonderful time. And I think it's in Columbia, if, so, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, so you got me today. And I think it's going to go out pretty well, except I have to do the, uh, the computer, which is not my favorite thing. But I think we can manage. And also, Brent... Uh, Danny's husband is here as well. He's over there watching and listening, so we'll see. We might even draw him into the conversation. We'll have to see We'll see what happens. So I want to talk to you guys about Danny. uh you know she basically she was here uh at the end of November promoting the veg fest and and because she was a scheduled speaker then, and I just fell in love with her, and so I was like. Uh, come back because everything you're saying about other things are the things I want to talk about so we worked it out and she's here and I'm real thrilled about it so I'll read a little bit about her Uh, she's lived in the Tampa Bay area with her husband Brent for over 20 years and they have converted their property into a certified native wildlife sanctuary and food forest and Danny provides nature walks in the Tampa Bay area also to increase eco-literacy and to foster a greater passion for our planet she also has a YouTube channel called Peaceful Bird Gardens where she teaches about veganic. 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 I was <laughs> trying to figure out how to say that. Uh, gardening and providing habitat for wildlife right in your own backyards. And we're going to talk about what that is veganic. Okay. Veganic. So yeah. now I have it veganic. Um, so welcome to the show, by Thank the way. You. Thank you so much for having me back. Thrilled to have you guys here. And you know, it's funny, today's. Um, Martin Luther King um, Parade Day, and it's right in front of our studio, so it was not easy getting here. I'm jumping curbs. They were actually doing it the legal way, talking to the guy, and uh, and and uh, she walked up here from it, and her husband uh, finally figured it all out with the with the legalities. And of course, I'm just going down the wrong way and jumping curbs, but I'm here. <laughs> we're here. Yeah, the, you know, you have to just do what you have to do, right? Mm-hmm. So. I want to talk to you. First off, I watched some of your YouTube Mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, you know, because I wanted to refresh. And there was so much information on there. I mean, really valuable things that I never thought about. And I kind of, this is my thing. You know what I mean? This is how I think. This is what I live. Mm -hmm. And so the things that you're bringing forth... Are things that it's not even come to my attention. And I wanted to, to let y'all know it is the youtube.com at peaceful bird gardens slash videos. Yes. And you could probably look up Danny Hall uh, YouTube and mm-hmm. it would probably come up, I would yes. imagine. And it's D A N I, by the way. Uh, so, so let's just get straight to uh, what we have going on here. So during COVID is when you guys really started getting busy on your urban lot. You just decided to do what? So, yeah. So during
3: COVID, so prior to that, actually, I'd studied habitat fragmentation and habitat loss as an ecologist. And so it was just so apparent to me that we were losing green space for specifically bird species, because that's what I studied. Uh, specifically bird species, we were just losing habitat left and right. So it was just heartbreaking to me. And I just, I was so frustrated. I was like, what can I do? What can I, you know, how how can I
2: reverse some of this? And I'm like, you know,
3: well, it has to start with me. If I'm going to start somewhere, it absolutely. Has to start with me. You have
2: to. If you're going to walk, if you're going to talk the talk, you have yeah. to walk the walk.
3: Absolutely. Totally. So I, I took a look at my own space, and it was very sad. <laughs> it was very sad. <laughs> we had, I mean, if you even want to call it like a weedy, patchy kind of a grass, lawn. pretend a grass. Bit. It was very much pretend grass. <laughs> um, we had these gorgeous oak trees in our space, but some of them were not as healthy. You know, they were not. They were not healthy trees. And um, we in the backyard, it, it was just, it was just sad. It sand it was mm-hmm. our yard our habitat is very very sandy so yeah, we, I just poured all of my energy and I pulled my husband in along with me. I was like, guess what we're going to do? We're
2: going to turn hey. our property
3: into a wildlife habitat. And that was the original kind of inspiration was really was creating habitat. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, yeah, that makes sense because, I mean, that is your background.
3: you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I study, you know, Florida native ecosystems and native plants are, oh my
2: goodness, my crazy passion. I love native plants. I saw that you won the raffle of the native plant at the Native Plant I Society. Did. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I missed that meeting? Oh my god! I did. Yeah, I wanted a, a sweet little holly. So that yeah. um, yeah. was cool. Yeah, I loved it. That it was you. Yeah. I want to let everybody know, just in case, uh, if you guys you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa, we're talking with Danny Hall about her life as an organic gardener in an urban neighborhood. You can give us a call at eight one three two three nine nine six six three. Text us at eight one three four three three zero eight eight five or Send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on the air. So, anything you guys want to ask Danny or talk about, you know, anything, just give us a call. So, so you did that, you started that in, but you were doing it with native plants, was your yes. primary plant material. Like, yes. you weren't even working on the soil at that point, right? No, I was absolutely. That was you the were? beginning. So, you started I with the started soil. With the okay. Soil. So, that's the first thing you would do yes. when you're starting to create. Uh, something to grow in. You yes. start with that. So, what did you do? Well, so first I watched the land. To be yes. fair,
3: I watched you know how the how it runs off, how right. the rain runs off, how the light hits. I took so many pictures with my <laughs> phone of eight a.m., twelve noon, four p.m. Just watching <laughs> the, the light in different spaces and stuff. Just you know for months, just kind of you know doing that. And so I practiced deep ecology. Deep ecology is this idea that we are all interconnected with each other, all beings on earth, and that the earth is not some giant rock, <laughs> some dead rock, you know, it, it's an organism, it's a living, breathing organism that sustains and supports us. So, with that concept in mind, I had to start with the foundation of the earth. Mm-hmm. That's where I started right. creating soil because we had sand and the native plants would have loved it. Yes. But then I wanted to grow food. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So so then we started really intensively. My neighbors probably thought I was a little crazy at first because we started with cardboard to suppress the weeds that were there. You did use cardboard. I never used it, but, you know, a lot of people do. It's a real instant work. Yeah, absolutely. So my neighbor, one of my neighbors is a plumber. So he had like an endless supply of cardboard. So we use recycled cardboard and put it down first. And then we would take, bring in our municipal free County mulch And we just did that by the ton, literally. We had a little trailer, and we just brought it in by the ton, my husband and I, just every weekend. And you get free county mulch
2: from what county? Pinellas County. So uh, just to let y'all know, they're going to be starting that in uh, Tampa as well, which I've been bragging them for years and years and years and years. And so in February, they're going to start not—you can't use plastic bags— So you have to, I know, I'm so happy about it. You have to use paper bags, which can be shredded, or you have to use uh, containers, which is what I use. I use trash cans that I've had for 25 years. I mean, yeah. How often do you have to buy them? You don't. You just use them. Uh, So we'll be able to do that here in Hillsborough County soon. So you have that available to you in Pinellas then. Yes. So you would get that. We take full advantage of it. It's a wonderful program. It is. what cities that have it.
3: It is. And really the only downside to it, so essentially what the Municipal Mulch Program does, they take all of the yard waste from, you know, everyone in the county really, Mm -hmm. and they grind it up with this huge grinder, and then they let it sit in these giant steaming piles that they turn periodically and it just gets hot composted over time so it becomes this wonderful you know nutrient rich biodiverse mulch for your garden mm-hmm. the issue that I do have with it is that every once in a while you do get some debris
2: a little bit of that of stuff on your on your uh, web page and you know I've never gotten any so you know it's probably such a little amount it is I'm, you know it's that it no does, big it's deal really minuscule and it's free y'all you don't have to go so buy free. mulch you don't have to go buy <laughs> compost which can be very expensive when you're doing a full yard
3: yes and not not only that but you're sequestering Carbon in your own space. Exactly. You know? You're getting what is there, which yes. is very important. Absolutely. It's not going to the landfill. Correct. You know, it's actually going to grow plants and food for yeah. you in your community. Back where it should go. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then you gather leaves and Yes, we did that in the beginning. We gathered a lot of leaves. We have oak trees that, you know, uh, this time of year, from now until pretty much March, she's constantly spitting out oak mm-hmm. leaves. Um, so what we do though, we try to intersperse the oak trees with the mulch because oak leaves, they have a very high lignin content they and do. they can thatch together mm-hmm. and not allow water to seep through. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're kind of mixing that up with the mulch. And something else that you want to make sure that you're not doing is mixing the mulching with your soil because that can actually rob your plants of nitrogen. Because it can actually sequester nitrogen. So make sure that the mulch is always just staying on top of the soil. So that
2: would be another reason for a no till garden.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So we do, we try to disturb the soil as little as possible because there's so much going on in there. Uh Soil is living, it isn't an an organism in and of itself. So there's all these little microbes and insects. And when you disturb them, not only are you disturbing weed seeds (laughs) because you're exposing them. Exactly. You're exposing them to the air. Yes. You're just allowing them to, you know, do what they do best, um, but you're also disturbing and potentially dehydrating your little microbes and things that are in the soil creating fertility for you.
2: Yeah. And those guys are the super highway of delivery systems. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: We, we could not have fertile soil without those microbes, which yeah. unfortunately we are, our soil is going extinct. So yeah,
2: I, I wrote that down uh, about that. And so we'll just jump to that since you just brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about losing soil and touch on the monoculture mentality practices because I yeah. think that's part of it, isn't it? It is absolutely a part of it. So you know when we have these
3: mechanistic monocultural agricultural systems, they are not looking at soil fertility. They're looking at you know the most efficient way to produce the most amount of food you know per acre, and. They're doing it in such a way that is absolutely depleting the soil. So they're having to put all of these nutrients. They're having to put all these chemicals and yeah. fertilizers and pesticides, and it just further kills the fertility that's in the soil. So we're creating this horrible loop, um, you know, with with mechanized monoculture. So what we need what we need to get back to. You know, and every system needs to evolve, you know, whether it's agriculture, you know, agriculture, and it's not just the machinery that we're using that has to evolve. It's the actual practices that we're using. So we could get back to more biodiverse gardening, you know, biointensive gardening so that we are fostering good soil health so that we're all healthy.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, when you were talking about, when people are talking about monoculture, they're talking about those big um, areas that one thing is planted. And so everything is being taken by that one thing yes. and nothing is giving back really, because yeah. it's not, that one thing isn't really getting what it's needing from all the other things that could help it. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, that's why what you're talking about, I'm, I mean I know this so I'll just say it is that you know when you when you're doing a food forest which mm-hmm. is what you're really doing yes. is that you are doing a high uh, growth. You're doing a mid-growth, a, a low-growth, and then in sunny areas, you're doing annuals. Yes, that's correct. So the food forest system
3: is we have tubers in the ground. So we have sweet potatoes. We have um, radishes, you know, in the wintertime. We have other, you know, we have carrots in the wintertime. There are other tropical tubers that you can grow that'll grow all year as a perennial in this climate. Oh,
2: those Ubers, Ubi or Uber, what do they call that? Ubi, isn't that, Ubi. that, that the type of that... Uh, uh, It's like a sweet potato, but it's not. It's a. (gasps) Oh, um. Cassava, there's cassava. No, it's different, well. but go ahead. Okay. I'll, so I'll yeah, there's up.
3: cassava and there's also um one that we just planted and it's not coming. Hickama. Hickama. Oh, that's so Hicama. delicious. Yeah, Hickama. <gasps> so so, so that's a wonderful tuber. You know, those are wonderful tubers. So we have vining plants, we have ground covers that are edible. We have the um, you know, hedges that we have uh Pineapple guava and blueberries, and then you get into the the tree canopy. So our fruit trees
2: are never any higher than what we can reach with our hands. That's so smart. You know, Tanya, who used to be the host of this show, that's what she always did was she cut all of her mango trees pretty much pollarded them uh, every you know after they fruited. Is mm-hmm. that what you do as well? So we don't
3: have to necessarily pollard because what we are doing is training them up from babies to be a certain, to grow in a certain way. So from the time I plant them when they're little saplings, I knock them at the knee as I call it. So knock them at the, knock knees. Them at the knee. So at <laughs> knee height, I actually kind of just chop their little heads off. <laughs> And And let them bush out. Let them bush out
2: from there. Oh, okay. So you start it before it's really, uh, you create the issue before it becomes an issue. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So
3: then I watch for strong branches that I like, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I generally grow my fruit trees in a vase shape. I feel in Florida, oh, that's sounds a, so pretty. A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, it provides for good air, you know, airflow and, and sun. And also it uh, provides some protection for the fruit as well. The branches and things can provide protection from the fruit if the sun gets too intense. So, yeah, so you just select those branches that you like to create good structure. And then you just let those go and you keep them in check so that everybody is in a good balance. And it really does come up looking like a, a, a vase
2: or, a yeah. or a, you know, a pretty glass. You know, that's interesting. I think a lot of people are very afraid of uh, cutting things. You know, yeah. when, when they're afraid that they're going to kill the plant. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, we're just, you're here right here saying that nope. that's the best thing to do. Yep. Yeah. I prune mine with. in the summertime. I prune them for size so that I
3: can keep the size small. And in the wintertime, I prune for structure because our, especially the peach trees, they lose their leaves. So it allows yeah. me to see their structure really well. Yeah. Open it up in the center, maybe bring the height down just a little bit. In when case do it you do that? It. So... In the summertime, I prune for size. That's when I take the size down. down. I okay. top them very, very okay. significantly, as a okay. matter of fact, uh, because they grow so quickly. And then in the winter time, I prune them for shape and
2: structure. So okay. yeah, so it doesn't. You're not going to be taking. My concern would be that you were taking the new buds off for fruiting. And that's a very good possibility. But at the same time,
3: if I can't reach it and the birds are getting to it anyway, then it really doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of fruit production so that it is manageable. And how much fruit do I honestly need? Like, you know, enough for my family and my neighbors and friends. And last year, our peach tree was only in the ground for maybe a year and a half, and she gave us almost 30 peaches. I mean, she's just a baby. you have
2: a lot of birds, but Mm -hmm. you're not having uh, a lot lot of damage to your fruit trees. No, we have not, as a matter
3: of fact. That's no, very interesting. I do get mockingbirds that will eat my Everglades tomatoes like there's no tomorrow, <laughs> but I know this and it's okay. We grow enough of those that it's not yeah, really a big things deal. Yeah, those are wild. I love
2: my Everglades That's tomatoes. Yeah. Now, I have the, the trouble with birds and squirrels, a lot of squirrels, and you don't have that problem either. I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of fruit we so our food force is still a baby. Okay. So a
3: lot Maybe of our they trees, haven't discovered it. <laughs> they poten- oh they have oh, they, they have. know our yard very well. Yeah, are we have quite the. Uh, we have quite the population of squirrels just because of all the oak trees we have, but I call them my little fuzzy butts. But no, so far it's been okay. Honestly, it's them digging out my seedlings. It's probably the most annoying thing. But I found that that if you go to like um, Goodwill or um, like a thrift store, you can find those little... um, Plate covers for picnics oh. that you can put over top those of your seedlings as me- mesh plate covers. So just, just for a short period of time while your seedlings are trying to, you know, come up. It's like so a cloche. It
2: yes, it's yes. a cheap cloche because yeah. if you
3: go online, they're oh, very, very expensive. expensive. They're
2: very pretty, but they are very, very expensive. expensive. I, um, I looked up, uh, it's dis- Dioscoria alta, al- alata, and it is, it is Ubi. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard. I'll have to oh, look you don't that know about up. that one? No. Oh, it's fantastic. It's the Greater Yam, and they okay. can get to be like, you know, 50. 50- pounds <gasps> yeah oh wow and they die back in, uh in the winter the the green but then the the yam stays in and continues to grow and it'll shoot up green leaves beautiful lime shaped uh, heart shaped leaves okay and the stem uh has ridges on the edges and they rotate it in a certain way and that's one of the ways you can tell what it is is the way the, the stem rotates oh that's beautiful i love that jungle jim uh jim have says oh you might okay. do, if you know him i bet he could you could get some from him all right you need them I do. Now I do. (laughs) I love learning about new plants. Now that you know, right? (laughs) Exactly. So you have your yams, your uh, sweet potatoes in all year round? I do, actually. They just harvest as you want? We eat the greens
3: sometimes as well, like the new shoots and and things like that. We'll put them in salads. I find them a little bit bitter, so I actually like to cook them in with some stir-fry, you know, with my other greens. But, um, yeah, we keep our sweet potatoes in all year. They they do well for us. So I, I just kind of harvest them when I'm like, oh, you've been in the ground long enough. Okay, let's see how you're doing. Kind That's of cool. Because, so, uh,
2: yeah. you know, they, uh, the way I've always planted mine was I would put them in the ground in, say, May, let them grow in the summer because it's so hot. You know, mm-hmm. nothing else really grows. Yep. And then when they get um, white flies is that's the time to harvest. There you go. That's actually not a bad, you know, way to go about it too. Exactly. So I, when I see people that, oh, I have white flies on, you know, all of this, I'm like, well, it's time for harvest. I mean, come on. It's not time to spray. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
3: I've had cemental pumpkins that have gone all year because they rooted the node. I had one that was a little bit protected during the winter time and she'd made it and then just kept on going. That's wonderful. (laughs) So you just let them be themselves. I let them be themselves. I let a lot of reseeding happen in my garden. I don't plant mustard anymore at all.
2: I I don't. Or broccoli, to be fair. That is so funny that you mentioned that, because I have an area that had this beautiful lacy-edge purple mustard. And I had just thrown the seeds down last year. And now it knew when to come up. So it has a whole area that reseated itself. It's so beautiful. Yeah,
3: yeah. I don't have raised beds. I found them to be a little bit fiddly, (laughs) to be fair. I had them in the beginning and they can be a wonderful solution for a lot of people. I just found them to be cumbersome, so we really do just have a naturalistic. Everybody's just kind uh-huh. of growing next to each other, and you know, it, it really is just I'm winding paths and things, and so you never know who you might who you might see and who you might come upon. So
2: that's I love it that you uh, you call. Uh, You call things by she, he, you never say it. And I noticed that last time when you were here, when you were talking about animals, which then made them real. And then I think people, when they call everything an it, it, it takes less of a... Uh, a living aspect to it. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel as bad about killing it. I know, know? but unfortunately we do that with people as well. You know, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: what we do, if we have those prejudices, you know, if we have those uh, preferences in our minds, you know, for things, you know, like plants that we think of as things or animals that we think of as things, those things can translate to human beings as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just is... Once you start doing that, that's the yeah. way it is. Let me uh, go ahead and announce uh, the reintroduction. You're listening to the Sustainable Living Show coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Today, we're talking with Danny Hall about her life as an organic gardener in an urban neighborhood. Give us a call at 813-239-9663, text us at 813-433-0885, or send us an email at dj at WMNF.org, and we will read it on the air. Uh, We do have some emails, which I'll go ahead and read now. You know, I do respond to phone calls really well, so if y'all want to call. (laughs) Okay, it says, uh, can a mango that has gotten really tall be safely pruned? Ellen, oh, it says Ellen and down as much, um, obviously, that's not the word, unless Ellen is up in the tree, Uh, but down as much as like five or ten feet off the top. And that's Ellen in Gulfport. Okay. Is there, uh, do you think that there is a, you know, a bad factor in cutting erratically? Yes, there is. But I have seen it done. It is
3: absolutely possible to Pollard. A mango tree. Um, I have seen them in. Th- I've seen them at thirty feet, and people than, You know them, and they came like back six feet, and they kept growing. They did well, okay. I mean, plants are crazy.
2: They are, <laughs> and you know the thing is about trees is like if it's becoming a problem tree, you yeah. know, shading out everything, then you they do it just. Off chance, you know, instead of taking it down all the way and losing the tree, you could give it a shot. Exactly. I mean, what is your, you know,
3: it's either you choose to live with it because it's only going to get bigger. That's right. Some mango trees just get huge. huge. Light cheese
2: as well. Uh, Avocados as well.
3: Yeah, they get gigantic Gigantic trees. Yeah. So it's either let it become that gigantic tree
2: or take the chance that you might, you know, lose it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, back in the day, back when I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, beautiful gardens that were decorative for people, I would always take off one third at a time. So if you did one third and then maybe another one third later after it had rejuvenated itself, that would probably work as far yeah. as maintaining the health of the tree yeah. instead of a radical cut.
3: Exactly. And the thing about mangoes is the nice thing that we have now is, if you get a grafted cultivar, especially a dwarfing variety, they generally fruit very quickly for you. So if you do have a gigantic mango tree that maybe not working out. Oh, the yeah, best, shocks it into it, right? You know, I, well, it does. But what I'm saying is if you do have to take out a mango tree, you know, putting a new one in, you're not going to be waiting all that long for fruits, you know, and then you can start it the way
2: that maybe you and want get right And get the like right I tree. Like I have a dwarf Hawaiian mango and mm-hmm. it's it's probably seven feet tall and it's been in there 10 years. And okay. I don't cut Absolutely. it back. I just tip the ends. There you go. So, you know, you just get the right plant, right, plant, right, right place, place, right time. That's right. So we have another uh, question. Ask about coping with the change in the USDA uh, hardiness zones that have changed. <gasps> oh boy. <laughs> Yeah,
3: I just discovered I'm no longer in nine B. I'm now officially in ten A. Right. So, although we knew that in our heart, exactly, (laughs) I'm not super surprised. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the question is. Um, I mean, to me, it's just a map. You know, yeah, it's just a map. So I'm watching my garden every year. So this year. We got almost no rain in summer, but right. we're having rain now in winter time. That's not usual. Mm-hmm. Last year we had a three day freeze at Christmas time. This year, who knows? My peach tree is like, oh, there's not going to be a freeze. She's already putting out flowers.
2: So. My mango tree is so loaded with flowers, it's crazy.
3: Yeah. So honestly, with climate change, you know, we're going to have to become adaptable.
2: We're going that's to the have word. To have an adaptable garden. I think that's the word right there. We Absolutely. have to become adaptable, and you just pay attention. Yes. You don't just rely on. Like, like people used to say, well, I used to water every Tuesday, and I'm like, well, was it wet or was it dry? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not the way we water. Yeah. We water if it's if it needs it. Mm-hmm. You stick your finger in the dirt yes. up to, you know, a couple knuckles, and if it's uh, damp down there, it doesn't need any water. But if it isn't, then it needs water. So it's the same thing, right? Yes. Absolutely. And it's the same with, I've had clients that you thought they had to be on a specific fertilizer
3: schedule for their plants. Right. Well, I have to fertilize in the spring and the right. fall. March that's 15. what you do. That's right. I'm like, did you ever ask the plant <laughs>
2: <laughs> if it needed the
3: fertilizer, my friend? Because then all we're doing is introducing, you know, more fertilizer into the environment. But if you actually pay attention to your plants, spend some time with them and get to know them and what they need and don't need, you may come to realize that they don't need as much fertilizer as you thought.
2: I'm finding that mine are, everything is really lush right now at my house, right before I'm going to move. It's funny. Yeah. Oh. But it's because I've been doing a lot of my own personal compost. Yes. And a lot of my own personal mulches that what I do is I'll get the free mulch. Actually, mm-hmm. I get it from Newport Ritchie just because I'm on my way over there. And then I'll put it somewhere and let it, work itself out a little bit more and then I'll move it to where I want it or I'll just get raw wood uh, from, you know, tree guys Mm -hmm. on on my driveway and then after, because I have an open driveway there and after the next year, then I move that. Yes. into the beds. Yes. So there's different yes. ways.
3: Absolutely. And that's the wonderful thing about native plants is that you don't have to amend the soil for them. Right. If you get the right plant for your space, you know, if you kind of go with what's been vouchered for your county, especially that plant is going to do wonderfully for you in your landscape, regardless of what you're, if, especially if you're dealing with native soil, mm-hmm. they have made, you know, a, evolutionary associations with the microbes that are in the soil these plants they have special relationships with the microbes that are already in the soil they have evolutionary relationships with the birds that come to Thank visit you. them that's
2: what i was hoping you'd say
3: absolutely so you know if you would put in native plants you wouldn't have to water nearly mm-hmm. as much you would not have to fertilize pretty much at all and you would have this beautiful welcoming landscape for for your local wildlife and it's so beautiful for your community as well
2: well and not only that it's also pollinators yeah you're getting you know you know, you're getting all the things that you have that need to be pollinated drawn in from the flowers from all yes. these native plants.
3: Absolutely. So the native system in the front completely supports my food system in the back, my food forest system in the back. So I have a wealth of pollinator plants in the front. I have twelve, twelve plus, yeah, twelve plus host plants for different butterflies and not just the macro butterflies. We really like to try to support the skippers the exactly. beetles and flies and moss the,
2: mo- the flies are what pollinates the um, the mangoes. Yes, absolutely. The butterflies and the bees don't do it, y'all.
3: Yeah, so we really want to try and support all the pollinators, right. not
2: just the big,
3: pretty butterflies. Yeah. Though I
2: do love those too. <laughs> that, and, and then they usually just pick out one or two types of butterfly too. That's what people focus on yes. so hard.
3: But the nice thing about Natives is that most of them or a good chunk of them support some form of pollinator by either uh, being a host plant or mm-hmm. providing nectar and pollen, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful to just have natives. And then all those bugs
2: that are on there are going to be feeding the birds. Yeah, so absolutely. you know that's the thing when people think about you know they are so freaked out about having bugs on their plants. Yeah, I know. But if you don't do anything about it, it all works out. It really does. So we have created a system
3: that takes care of the system, as I say in my videos, um, because we put in a pond to support dragonflies. Because dragonflies, I love are, dragonflies. are... I do too. They and look like fairies. They do, but they're predators. They are. I know major, they're bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, they're quite you know amazing predators, and even their larvae uh, are predators in the water. So, you know, we've supporting, we're supporting dragonflies. We're supporting wasps on our property. People don't understand that wasps and parasitoid wasps are wonderful pollinators, Love but them. they also keep, you know, insects like tomato, uh, hornworms and armyworms and cutworms in check because they actually feed on them. They mm. actually take them and use them
2: as uh, food for their young. It's, um, it's one of the number one uh things that I'm getting asked online what is this and it's the uh it's the um, wasp uh, cocoons oh, yeah. people think it's their white uh and they uh, little balls of fluff and there are a zillion of them and it's in one spot and if you flip it over you see a hollow space where the caterpillar used to lay yeah. and what happened is is the brachinoid. I think it is a, a, a wasp uh shot their their egg-laying stinger into the living caterpillar, laid their young, and they hatched in, and they lived in there until, and they were avoiding all the the big parts that would keep the caterpillar alive, and then they pierce out, and then they wrap those cocoons. So it's not eggs on the outside. It it was eggs on the inside that turned into uh, the, uh, the little squirmy wormies pop through and then poopate in the cat in the uh the cocoon and one of the things I saw somebody brought them inside they went what is this they had it inside on their table and I was like put that back outside because it, the whole you know they they cut open the ends of the uh of the cocoons mm-hmm. and those were not opened yet oh no <laughs> they were gonna have a swarm in the house as
3: well oh my goodness I know it's pretty Pretty gruesome, actually. It is, but, but it's, it's nature. Nature, it is, yeah. and you know, it's it's a very important, beneficial part of nature. But yeah. we've lost that connection. A lot of us, we really Think have. So. We've lost that. So, if I can restore, if I can restore that connection in any way, you know, through my YouTube or you know, through teaching people how to you know play with natives or through nature walks,
2: yeah, and waiting waiting for it to happen instead of having that instant gratification. Uh, You have aphids. Well, you don't have to do anything. Wait. Exactly. No, we don't spray anything on our plants.
3: We don't, you know, um, we don't use neem, even, you know, as an organic gardener. I don't use any kind of insecticide on my plants. Like I said, I let the system take care of the system. So we get aphids on our grapes. I have grapes. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. We have um, Southern Home. It's a hybrid. It's a wonderful hybrid.
2: Is it a table grape?
3: It's a cross So we cannot grow table grapes here because of Pierce's disease. They just do not do very well. Even the Catawba grapes that you see at like the big box stores that they're trying to push off on people. Right, big box
2: stores are selling the wrong thing, y'all. Don't
3: succumb to it. I know. No, they all end up with some kind of fungus or Pierce, Uh you know, virus or something like that. So, what do you do with this? So their Southern Home is a hybrid between our native muscadine grape oh, yeah. and a table grape. Oh. So it is resistant or um to Pierce's disease and super hardy. I found it to be I mean, it's super prolific. It grows very quickly. The grapes, you have to kind of like the muscadine grape to like this. It's very sweet, but the skin is still a little bit thick. If you've ever had a muscadine grape, it's yeah, thick like they the a They These I too. like it. I like it too. I grew up in the South. <laughs> Me so. too. So I grew up with muscadine grapes and scuffinons and those types. <laughs> Maybe that's so. why we like it more yeah. than others. That's so funny. I often like them. So anyway, but yeah, so we get we get aphids every year on, on my grapes. But I know that the ladybugs See? are going to come along. And, and take care of the, the situation. That's so exactly I'm not, I'm not worried about it. If and we, even the, the lacewing larvae, they'll also eat aphids
2: as well. Yeah, and if we did anything with the aphids, then we wouldn't have the uh, the other wonderful predatory insects because they wouldn't have anything to eat. Exactly. exactly. So you have to think exactly. that through before you... And my Pat. great plant will be fine. She'll be totally fine. It's, yeah. it's,
3: it's you know, I, I think people see that and they go, oh, no, my I plant. I have to do something, yeah. But so what happens when a plant is attacked, does it actually stores that information and CNA to use for later so that it can actually become, evolve and become stronger. We know that plants can do this. Mm -hmm. So if you allow it to go through a little bit of stress, you might actually end up with a stronger plant in the end.
2: Did I read, or not read, but listen in your uh, video that you use pigeon peas as a, uh, of course it's a nitrogen fixture. It's also a cover crop and it also draws away the aphids. It can, yeah. So you can use not
3: the pigeon piece so much. They don't okay. draw aphids, but black eye peas. Black eyed peas, that's what it was. Cow I knew it was something cow I couldn't peas. remember. Oh yeah, cowpeas. That's they, what it was. The aphids love cowpeas. Yeah. So there are certain plants that you can plant, and they will absolutely attract aphids. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, some of the plants that you really want to grow, like okra and any kind of um, hibiscus family type plant, they're also big aphid traps as well. But yeah, no, we plant um, pigeon pea as, like you said, so as a nitrogen fixer, and we can also eat the. I love them. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're delicious. delicious. So and they're prolific, and the bumblebees—they just love those legume flowers. So I get little bumblebees and little carpenter bees that come in. For oh, those the big flowers. fat budded ones. Yes. those are so yeah, cute. They are. You don't see those all the time. No, either. no, you don't. So I try to plant those legume flowers specifically so that they draw those in.
2: So I know that you know you're a vegan, and you're also you know a a person that really fights for animal care and welfare and that sort of thing. So I know that you don't use uh, animal amendments no. in, your, in, your food, uh, in your soil uh, to help things grow, which m- most of us do. Yeah, And and I think that we were just talking about this just a minute ago. I think that a lot of the things that we do is because we've done it before. We knew somebody else that did it. It worked for them. And so then we continue that thread. Yeah. But uh, I know there's other ways because obviously you're successful with it. What do you do that's non-animal for your uh, growing of your garden, the amendments? Yeah. So I also just
3: want to quickly add
2: A lot of people do
3: it because it's just convenient. You can go to the store and just pick it up. Absolutely. You can pick
2: up. up Amazon, you know, everything's that. Whatever.
3: So so I completely understand. It is a complete and total convenient thing to do. So what we started doing was building soil. That's how, you know, uh, our vegetable garden came to be. We just planted certain plants that could be support species that I could chop and drop. So. Chop and drop plants. Yeah. I love that term, chop and drop. I, know I did not come up with that term. I can't actually trace. It's a permaculture uh, term. Been around for a while. Been around for a little while. So I'm actually stealing it myself. Um, <laughs> but chop and drop. So we grow Tythonia diversifolia. So that is a beautiful, it's a Mexican sunflower, it sunflower. It's such a pretty flower. It's a gorgeous flower. Now, a disclaimer, UF has predicted them to be invasive. I can believe that. I can't, though, because really? I had them in my garden for almost five years, and I've yet to have one sprout from a seed oh, at all. Okay. So but they, they do spread. They root at the node, so, so it's locally potentially weedy, but them actually escaping, but you never know.
2: <laughs> okay, so if somebody planted it and left the just grounds and mindful. they laid down, it yes. would take over the area. I just want people to understand
3: that... UF does predict them to be invasive, mm-hmm. but I have found them to be such a fantastic plant to have in our food forest. It's really for attractive garden. too, oh gosh, I think. It's gorgeous. It grows very tall. Yeah. We chop it at least once to twice a week. And that's how we're feeding our soil because it pulls nutrients pretty, you know, up from pretty deep into the soil and stores it in its tissue. So then once we, you know, put that back into the earth, those just break down and feed the
2: no Now, the what garden. do you, you cut that and then you move it over to the plants that you're trying to fertilize? Sometimes, sure, yeah. I mean, sometimes if
3: I have a specific bed, you know, um, especially for the winter, t- or I'm sorry, over the summertime. So for us, summer is fallow season. That's when we generally don't grow a whole lot. right. You know, um, That's the it's, smart just thing. So it's just so
2: It's a struggle. It is. You know so why, I just don't even It's try. not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. if something is such a struggle, that to yeah. me is telling you to rest.
3: Exactly. So we do. We let our yeah. garden rest in the summertime for the most part. Sweet potatoes, maybe seminal pumpkins. Okay. That's okay. pretty much it. Okra, if I'm willing to deal with the aphids that all year. Right. So we just let everything go fallow and I will take a bulk of my chop and drop that I use. And it, it comes from all my plants. Right. Nothing organic leaves my garden. Nothing, I put nothing out by the street. Everything I... Chop or you know prunes stays in my system to feed my garden. So yeah, I will put it around my specific fruit trees or in a garden bed that I'm trying to build up for say the fall planting season. Mm-hmm. So that's how we use it. And I use multiple plants for that. So I even have mm-hmm. ground covers that we use for food. If they get a little too out of hand, they're chop and drop.
2: <laughs> yeah, that beet sunflower <laughs> will do it. That stuff is wild. Yeah, we grow sisu spinach that acts as oh I love sisu yes. spinach. So do we? There's yeah, two we different kinds I've sucks. seen. One that's kind of a curly leaf. Yeah. And One's more flat leaf. I'd love to get my hands on some of the flat leaf. You want to know an interesting thing? I have some. Cutting if I had only known, I
3: would have brought it today. Oh, that's okay. I've okay. noticed that some of my curly leaf—they're starting to push out more flat leaves. Oh, so they're I'm, reverting back to a gene. I'm going to take some of those cuttings and see if I can get it
2: to yeah. select for it and see yeah. if I can get it to keep. That's going. a good idea. It's like getting yeah. that white marigold. There you go. <laughs> yes, they it's keep fun. growing it till they get lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah, as a scientist, I find that stuff very fun I to do. Too. do. I'm just kind of fascinating. To see, oh, let's see what this will be. <laughs> Since we're talking about all these amendments and stuff, let's talk about that. Uh, Uh, You called it green manure weed tea. So I want to talk about that. So one thing that we
3: have started incorporating into our garden is neem seed cake. I've started using alfalfa meal, organic, of course, all of these. And let's see... uh, Kelp meal, organic, sustainably sourced kelp meal. Those I started adding specifically to my vegetable plants, my vegetable garden plants, because they just are heavy feeders. My tomatoes are, I've started growing like actual slicing tomatoes. tomatoes, (laughs) Real tomatoes this year and they're heavy feeders. So we're trying that. So I make a tea with the alfalfa meal. I'll make a tea and you just let it. So I put it in a big black garbage can, fill it with water and some of the um, alfalfa meal, and you just let it steep like a tea for, you know, five days or so. It doesn't smell the greatest when it's finished, but... You can put a lid on it. If you did it in a trash can, yeah. you could put a lid on and it. And we do. We keep a lid on it just yeah. so that nothing falls into Oh, We actually right, strap right, it right. down. And right. We, yeah, yeah That's a
2: good idea. Yeah,
3: we absolutely put a lid on it. So we just let it... And then, so the material itself, like the kelp meal... Or even my chop and drop. So we'll do the same thing with chop and drop. We take our chop and drop, fill a garbage can up with chop and drop green leaves and just steep it like a tea. Mm -hmm. Oh, it smells like the bog of eternal stench. (laughs) It really does from, you know. The bog of eternal stench. It really does if you're an 80s kid, you know, labyrinth. Um, that's it funny. smells very bad because it's it's anaerobic. And there are some people that say, oh, there's no nutrition in anaerobicity. I have to disagree with well, you
2: that. Well, if it's working but for you, it's I mean, working beautifully. You've had results, you know. Yes. And I would think that, uh, you know, the um, the pellets, yeah. uh, what's the word? I forgot what it is made out of. What's the? Oh, the... Um, Uh, alfalfa meal alfalfa I couldn't think of the word alfalfa so the alfalfa uh, I would think would really be fantastic for that oh it is I mean you're juicing it yes absolutely
3: and everything has a super low MPK you know so you're adding organics to the soil you're creating you know um, they stimulate roots some of these amendments like alfalfa meal stimulate root hormones So,
2: so yeah we have a couple more emails oh I have a ringing too let me let me take this um, first. No? Okay. So I'm going to take the emails. Um, we have this one, and it, let's just be quick about it, because it says, what about aphids that destroyed our milkweed plants? Uh, I did my best to wipe them off and use a spray, but I made, but I'm, that the milkweed plant dies, since Ellen Gulfport. So we've already discussed not killing anything. But go ahead and, and shoot with that. Let's t- I'm t- briefly. Going to think those were most likely very orange or yellowish
3: right. aphids on those milkweed. Um, you also get milkweed bugs sometimes. They're like little orange or kind of reddish, reddish orange, yeah, black like tomato colors you really? get on them. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Um, so it's interesting to me that they actually killed the plant because that's not usual. But some, you know, really the only thing that you can do is use a little bit of um, spray
2: of water just to kind of hose them off. If you need to. If you need to. I I find what I've read about it is that they actually act as a protecting visual protectant of the little tiny caterpillars of the monarchs, which is why she's growing and which they actually should be cut down in the wintertime. So yes, maybe that was part of the problem is those plants were struggling because they really should not be going on in the winter at all, mm-hmm. right?
3: Yeah. They should not know. If I see
2: tropical milkweed, yeah, we actually slice take, it. Yeah, I
3: take care of a little park over in Pinellas County, their butterfly garden, and there are some milkweed planted over there, and I chow. I down. get it growing <laughs> in
2: my yard all over the place just oh, from other you. people's, it's okay. floating in the air. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, you shouldn't really have those. But, you know, next time. Yeah, just be you, mindful because anything else you spray on there is going to harm your pollinators. That's right. And in fact, maybe the spray is what killed the plant. Uh, Oh, it could be. It could could damage the tissue. Yeah. This is is another email. When I was growing my cherry tomatoes on my back porch, I had wasps build two big nests on either side of my back door. I just left them alone, and they never bothered me. I watched them go down to my plants and bring things back to their nest. I had several other decorative plants on the porch as well. They did a great job keeping those pesky horned tomato worms off my tomato plants. I got more tomatoes that year than any previous year, Joe in Dover, Florida. Oh, that's so that's nice. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. See, he, he watched, he waited, and he observed.
3: Absolutely. I know yeah. people on unfortunately automatically assume that they're going to be super aggressive and just attack you as soon as you walk
2: past. Right.
3: They've got their own lives, people. <laughs> They've got better things to do. That's
2: right. They're super busy. Yeah, only if you like run into <laughs> oh, them absolutely. or something, you know. Or just... trying to grab the branch where they're currently yeah. building a nest like
3: I've done in the past.
2: Be aggressive. Hey. Oh, I've done that too. I've gotten stung by those little bitty wasps. Yes. Because yeah. I was clearing an area yeah. and, you know, they lived underneath the leaf. And so, you know, I had to take a break. What can I say? I know. I was being disruptive. That's so right. I would have defended my home too. I would have too. I would have <laughs> stung you if I had a stinger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we have uh, Richard uh, from Bradenton on uh, the phone. So let's uh, go ahead and take that, Richard. Welcome to the show.
0: Yes, ma'am. I have a question. I just recently had a septic tank put in, and I have a field. And uh, now I, you know, I'm not planting anything over it. I got some frog fruit starting to go, but I want to know what I could plant there. And I tend, I we tend to be uh Florida friendly native plant growers and um I want to know what I could grow there. I don't think I want to grow any food products because No you the- can't. Yeah. So what I could grow and I don't want things to harm the all the little creatures that come to pollinate and so on. So if you have any suggestions, I'll take that off the air.
2: Thank you very much for calling in. That's a great question, Richard.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, it kind of depends on your lighting situation. So, you know, a ground cover like Frankfurt, if you're dealing with a full sun or even part sun situation, Frankfurt's a wonderful ground cover. Uh, It's super hardy. Uh, It can take all kinds of conditions. It doesn't like shade, so it does want some sunlight. Um, If you're dealing with more shade-type conditions, you could do uh, like... um, uh, creeping sage, river sage, uh, uh, salvia micella. It's another wonderful ground cover. So if it's more of a moist situation, if the ground is more moist, you're going to want to plant more wetland-type plants, to be fair. So you want to put the right plants, you know, their culture. you want to meet their cultural conditions. So if you're in Bradenton, the... Closest native nursery to you would most likely be like Sweet Bay Nursery. They are a
0: fantastic. Yes, yes. I, I, know, I know Tom out there, and we buy a lot of things from there. We're in Northwest Branson, and we are kind of on an old ridge that used to run, and our soil is uh, is just pure sand. Uh, so
3: you're on a ridge, okay? Yeah. So yeah. you know, if if you have deep sand, then you could you could mimic, let's say, like a scrub type habitat, and right, that's- Yeah, I would go with it. Just go with it. And trust me, it will turn out beautifully if you
2: just, you know, go with what it naturally wants to be in the first place. So I have a question too. Um, So, because I kind of picked up on what you said, you didn't want to harm the critters. So if... Something is planted on a, a septic system, which is sewage, and they're bringing it up to the flower. Is that going to damage? Or are they going to be filtering? No. no you think that's yeah, fine? Yeah, they're, yes, absolutely. It's filtered we, up by that point.
3: Absolutely. It absolutely is. So plants act as wonderful filters. Now, I would not put anything edible. <laughs> right. You know. Or to anything, humans. To humans. I You know, and a lot of our native plants are even edible to humans, but I is, would not eat
2: anything that comes from a brown Right, seed, I eat a lot like, of flowers okay. that I grow, but not on the septic not system. Not on the septic system. <laughs> now, the so, other this. thing that I thought about, too, is that you want to make sure that you don't want to have a deep uh, rooting Plant material absolutely, you do not
3: want something that's going to disturb your septic tank. Yes, so, I expensive. wouldn't put trees, yeah. yes, absolutely. So, you don't want to put anything that's going to put down super deep roots, um, anything with extensive roots that could possibly damage your septic system. But, okay. like so I said,
0: this, this, mm-hmm. this is in, I get full sun in this area, mm-hmm. so you know, the frog fruit is doing great, but you know, you want something with some flowers, and make it look. A, little more attractive.
2: You know, there's a blue porter weed that's a ground cover that's really beautiful as well. Yeah, or you can do, if it's full sun and it's
3: very sandy, mm-hmm. um, you could do dune sunflower. If it gets a lot of water, though, she's going to get a fungus. So, oh, right. So, But know. if it's open, maybe it would dry out. Um, it could, so
0: absolutely. A, this is
3: dry area. Dry. Okay. That would probably be perfect. Dune yeah. sunflower is It'd gorgeous. be beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. They're very hands-off. You put them in, you water them, in and then you forget about them, and they will take off and be wonderful pollinator plants. And they're just—they're just bright and cheerful. They are. They make me happy. Me too. <laughs> well,
0: well, thank you, ladies, and I appreciate—I really enjoy your show. So.
2: Oh, I'm thank so glad. So. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And anytime you can uh, donate is very helpful. It keeps us on the air because we are fully donated. Uh, we are right. fully supported by that. So.
0: I'm a sustaining member. Good
2: so. man. We yeah, love yeah, that yeah. about you.
0: <laughs> okay thank you very much
2: thank you you have a great day you too. Bye. bye-bye love that sustaining member well we're running we're into five minutes before we end so we need to uh is there anything that you feel like that we needed to talk about that we should say no just
3: you know don't be afraid um to plant with natives you know um Talk to your HOAs, talk to, you know- And your neighbors. Talk to your neighbors. Your, yeah, neighbors. my neighbors love it. They really do. And they thought of you a little crazy at first, but they walk by and they just tell and they're us conservative. how much they love it-
2: yeah, most women are pretty conservative. Okay,
3: because I know that you live in a neighborhood. Yeah, we do in a regular old neighborhood, and so people love
2: what you're doing. They love
3: what we're doing. They they compliment us. They stop by. I had a lady ask for seeds.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. The seeds from that plant. And oh, like, I love of course that. You can. Please help yourself. So oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So and just you know, um, it makes you interact with your neighbors more too. People does. people start to talk. It yeah, so uh, is when I'm
3: out there working, people stop by. So yeah, so just come, come
2: to come check us out on our YouTube channel, uh, Peaceful Bird Gardens and yeah, we'd love to see you there. And they're really good. I, I watched a couple last night and uh they're not fancy. They're not fancy videos, but I got to no. say, very informative. Thank I, you. I learned a lot and I know a lot. You know what I mean? So yeah. whenever I can listen to somebody and I'm learning some new things that I never even thought of, it's wonderful. This is all my learning. This is all yeah. trial
3: and error, you know, so. Hands on. Hands on, hands on. This is what, you know, worked, has worked for us. This is what hasn't worked for us. Right. And Yeah, and so the YouTube aspect, I'm learning. So, so as far as, you know, making better content, making better quality content, content that's going to come with time because um yeah learning how to edit videos was a whole other world that uh
2: it is it's yeah. a doing a video is completely different yeah. deal it's a whole other universe yeah. for uh, for this old lady so <laughs> <laughs> old lady look who you're talking to come on get a grip Oh my goodness, we're just as old as we feel that's right we feel pretty good yeah so uh i guess we need to close it up we're right about there. So I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Irene for taking the calls and Mr. Bill Grace for working the boards. As always, he keeps me in line. I don't know what I'd do without him. And if you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org and donate through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. I know we're going to have a fundraiser coming up pretty soon, so y'all make sure that you keep us on air. If, if you like this show, Um Remember, we have to support it. I I support this show with money. (laughs) I really do every time. (laughs) So help me out here. So stay tuned. In the next hour, you'll hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mabili, which is really great because he's probably going to be talking about the Martin Luther King thing that we have. I bet you money. And um, make sure and tune in next Monday morning at 11 at the next Sustainable Living Show. We'll be talking with uh, Julian Rebecca Childs. Uh, and she's with the Florida Farm Finder. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Yeah, she is, and when COVID started, when when all this happened, people were afraid to go to the grocery stores. And so what they did is they were looking for uh farm farmers didn't have places to put their food. So she oh. connects people to farmers that have food to, to sell. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's a yeah. wonderful program that she put in. So make sure and tune in next week and call us and talk to us about everything. I love calls. Uh, Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. And to listen to our past shows, just go to Listen On Demand on WMNF.org. And uh, I'm Annie Ellis. Remember, if you are looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye, and I'll talk to you next time. WMNF. Tampa
1: and I said It's all right